Awesome. Um, yeah, so you can see, see the link with that passage and that, that, that beautiful song is so great. And we're going to look into that um, today and actually starting a, a series for the next few weeks on worship, um, which will be a last sort of series before we get into Advent and then into Christmas. So the year's getting on. But um, yeah, sort of would be good to just spend some time talking about, I suppose, what we do um, as a community. What's at the center is that we are a place of worship. We're, we're a people of worship. We're a worshiping community. When we gather on Sunday, we're gathering for worship. Um, but sometimes it can be a bit confusing as to what that means and what that is, and it can be controversial, and it's, it's just a huge, big topic. Um, so I thought we'd just spend a few weeks looking at this um, and kind of just basing it on this. Um, this is kind of the plan, I guess. If you like a plan, this is the three-week plan. Um, that worship actually doesn't start with us. It starts with God. It starts with revelation of who God is. It's not firstly something that we do or something that we come to do, but first and foremost, it's recognizing and seeing God for who He is. Obviously not in His fullness, but capturing a glimpse by faith, by different ways He's revealed Himself to us. It starts with Him. And then as we receive revelation from Him, we respond. And we can respond in lots of different ways and, and and on Sundays we gather, we, we, we sing, we read His Word, maybe we raise hands, maybe we bow, we um, offer ourselves afresh, we respond. We'll look at that next week. And this um, encounter with a living God that we respond to is to actually transform us because we're His image bearers and it actually is meant to transform us so that when we go and reflect Him. There's this principle in life that actually you become like what you worship. And if we're worshiping this beautiful, good, pure, true God, we should be transformed into loving people of truth and grace as well. So it's the kind of, we're going to look at one of each of those each week. So we're going to start with this idea of revelation, and, and worship starts with seeing. Um, there's actually a song by Matt Redman. He wrote about this, um, and one of the lines is, worship starts with seeing you. Our hearts respond to your revelation. And obviously, as we read the Bible, it's, it's all about God's revelation of Himself to us, as we've already talked about even creation is God's revelation of himself to us and ultimately Jesus as the ultimate revelation of God. But I thought we could look at this encounter that Isaiah has um, as he has a vision of God that is like the, te- the, the curtains pull back and he sees kind of what's happening in heaven. And as we see that, we can perhaps in a fresh sense see the Lord by faith today. Um, so I just pray, Father, that you'd speak to us afresh in this passage by your Spirit and help us to see you. Um, I want to see you more clearly. I want to um, know who you are in your beauty and your greatness, and just ask you to speak even now um, by your Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. So this um, passage, let's read a bit of it again. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah giving a testimony, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and, the, and with two they were flying. I've read this passage so many times. It's, it's a very well-known passage that gets, gets preached and, and used. And just studying it this week, it's just hit way more deeply, just the power of these words and this encounter that he has. Even just the first part, that it's in the year King Uzziah died. I never really thought that that was significant. 
and I haven't studied in depth, but, but King Uzziah was a, a good king who had a long reign in Israel, who, who was, um, yeah, someone who, who loved God and, and led people to worship Yahweh, which was not that common in the kings of Israel, unfortunately, but, but he was a good king and he had a good reign, but it end, ended sadly. Um, he was proud. He went into God's presence in pride and he ended up getting leprosy and then died. And imagine what it might have been like for Isaiah, this prophet. Um, there was a good king, but then it ended badly, and now he's dead, and now who's going to reign, and, and what's going on? It's this uncertain, chaotic time. Perhaps even Isaiah's wondering, where is God? What's the hope of the future? And into that moment, he has this vision that God is on the throne. In the midst of that uncertainty and chaos, God reigns. God's on the throne. He has this vision, and he sees the Lord high and exalted, seated on, seated on a throne. And the thing that he comments on in his, is his robe, that his robe fills the temple. It's interesting. He says he saw the Lord, but there's also passages in the Bible, obviously, that says that no one can see the Lord. And, and there's this tension in the Bible that lots of people claim to have seen God. But at the same time, no one can see him in fullness, or we can only see him through Jesus. Um, and he, he um, doesn't so, isn't saying he sees God in his fullness, but he sees this manifestation, this physical manifestation, this vision of God. And there's even a verse in John's gospel that seems like perhaps that Isaiah is actually seeing Jesus in his glory. But it's pretty interesting that he can't describe what he sees. <laughs> like, he doesn't really tell us much what he sees. He sees a throne, it's high, and then he says his robe filled the temple, the train of his robe. It's like the hem of his robe. It's like the part of God that's closest to the ground is what he comments on. That's all he can talk about. He can't actually talk about what he sees. He just talks about God's clothes and just the bottom part of his clothes. Um, this also happens in, in Exodus. There's this crazy scene, a story, when Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, they go up to the mountain it says the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. What do they say? Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli as bright as the blue sky. They don't say what he looked like. They say what the floor was like. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Like they can't describe him. They can just describe what's around him. That the floor is bright blue as the sky, right? Like language can't describe what they're seeing. Isaiah just comments on his robe, the tip of his robe, fills the temple. Like, that's all he can comment on, because God is so great, he cannot be described. He also comments on the creatures that surround God. He calls them seraphim, um, which can be um, translated burning ones or, or fiery ones. There's these fiery creatures that surround God's throne, and even them, who have six wings, two-thirds of their wings are used to cover themselves. Right? There's six of them, two to cover their eyes, they don't even look on God. Two, to cover their feet. This could be this act of modesty and humility. And with two, they, uh, they serve Him and attend to Him. These, these crazy creatures who need to be modest before God, they cover, they can't actually look on Him and they're ready to do His will. At, 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 at this drop of a hat, they'll do whatever He wants. That's what's surrounding Him. That's what this revelation is that he's high and exalted, he's unable to be described, he's, he's surrounded by burning creatures who can't even look on him and who will serve him. We start with, we need to see this revelation that he is the high and exalted king on the throne. 
of the universe. That, that's who He is. And worship, in many ways, is about giving worth to something and to what is ultimate. We worship what, what you worship is what you place as ultimate. And it's recognizing that He is ultimate. He is in the highest place. He is the one that rules. He is the exalted one. And it's so encouraging that even when things maybe seem chaotic on earth for, for Isaiah, maybe even if things seem chaotic in our day in different ways, maybe if things don't look like God is in control, the truth is He is. He is the high and exalted King. And worship doesn't start with us coming to offer Him something. It starts with just recognizing Him, that where He is, what it's like in heaven, what is surrounding Him. And these creatures are worshiping Him. Um, these creatures are calling out. You can imagine they're, they're, they're yelling. They're worshipping. Um, it says in a second that it's so loud that the temple shakes. That they're yelling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. These creatures around His throne cry out continually that He is holy. And the word means that he is separate, he is unique, he is one of a kind, he is totally unstained, he is totally uncorrupted, he is totally in his own category. He is uncreated. Everything else is created. He is uncreated. He, he is perfect. Um, he is totally other. He cannot be compared. They're, they're, they're declaring this. And in, um, in Hebrew, when you want to affirm and emphasize something, you, you do it by saying it more times. Like we add, at the start, we say if something was good, but then we say it's very good, like we added at the start. They would say it's good, good. And that, that's how you emphasize. If it's good, it's very good, good, good. And so they're saying that God, and this is, and often you just do this twice. Unless it's very strongly emphasized, you might do it three times. So God is not holy. He's not holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Like the most you can emphasize that he is holy. Like, like we don't talk like that. We, we would say he's so holy. Like that's probably how we would say it in Australia, right? Like you just hold the so really long. Like, like if you want to emphasize it, lots of capital letters, exclamation marks, right? Like that's how holy he is. Like it's just emphasized. Well, that's why it's being repeated. So you can imagine that they're, they're, they're yelling it and emphasizing it as strong as they can, that He is holy. He's totally different. He's totally other. And then they, in some ways, they explain what they mean by this when they say that the whole earth is full of His glory. The word glory, um, again, we, we use it a lot and can sort of, not, not a word we normally use just in everyday life, but we use it in church. It, it's a Hebrew word. Um, it's the word kavod. And it, it literally means weight. Um, and it's like a metaphor of um, when we talk about something being weighty or something being heavy, it, it, it means it's important, right? Even the word matter is interesting. If something matters, well, it kind of has matter, <laughs> like it has gravity, it has significance, it has weight. So if God has glory, someone's glory, their kavod is their significance, how important they are, how weighty they are. Um, and your importance and weight, your kavod, um, can manifest physically, in a sense, can kind of show itself by what surrounds you. And we kind of see this in life as well, like um, even the clothes people wear, the cars they drive, um, the, the job titles they have, 
is kind of their kavod, right? It's, it's my glory, right? Like if I, if I rock up in a really fancy car, it's meant to show that I'm impressive, that I'm significant, that I have weight. If we have like a, a politician or prime minister or someone, they travel with an entourage, right? They have, they have security guards, they have guys surrounding them, they have the media, like there's, there's all this surrounding. It's like in a sense their glory, their kavod, like they're, they're important. This person carries weight, that they've got all these people surrounding them. And what surrounds God, right? What's God's kavod? What shows his significance and his worth? The whole earth. Like, everything is from him. Everything points to him. If anything you look at around the world, that's God's glory. It's declaring his glory. It's his kavod. It shows forth his weight. The world is significant and important. And he made it, so it points to his significance and his glory. The whole earth, or we could even say the whole universe, is his kavod. It shows his weight. We were at um, Mulaney yesterday. It was a cafe, and it's amazing just to look out. There's this beautiful view of the Glasshouse Mountains, and it's impressive, right? It's, it's this beautiful. I think this declares God's glory, and this is a small speck of the earth, which is a small speck of the universe, and all of that is made by him and points to him. So he is so far above any of that. And even that is amazing. Mountains, obviously, are incredibly weighty, but they are nothing to him. He is holy, holy, holy. He is so holy. There's no one like him. So we need to see the revelation that he is absolutely holy. He is totally other the whole universe shows his importance and weight. So it's not when we come to worship that we're just saying that he's ultimate, that in the sense of that he's the highest. It's also that he's the only, that there's nobody else like him. He's in his own unique category, and therefore he's worthy of worship. He is not common. There's no one else. So he is of immense worth. Therefore, he is worthy of our worship, of declaring his great worth. These creatures, of his, of, even surrounding him, again, his glory is these creatures. And their voices have so much weight. They shake the temple. Um, he, he has so much importance and significance and weight. And obviously, in the presence of this, as the story goes, this, this being of perfect beauty and truth and holiness and goodness and love, up against that, Isaiah sees just how much he doesn't honor and worship God or reflect his goodness, but sees his sin and stain and the destruction that he and his people have caused. So in that place, Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." His, God's perfect character and holiness reveals Isaiah's sinfulness and how much he doesn't honor God and the life, and the, 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 the being of perfect life and love that the Father, Son, and Spirit is. And then it says, One of the seraphim flew to me, a burning creature with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the tongs of the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Obviously, Isaiah has this, this encounter of forgiveness and cleansing and healing um, with Jesus, right? And 
pointing to Jesus coming and God's heart to atone and to heal and to forgive sin. It's actually looking forward in this passage to a time when Jesus will leave his glory, leave his throne and come to earth. Um, it's interesting as well because we're talking about people being important and significant if they have like a limo or they've got bodyguards or they've got like an awesome car and stuff like that. But in some ways, you kind of sometimes we see people like that and we sort of bring them down, right? Or like we're not that impressed by them or we sort of think they're nothing special. They just think they're something or, or something like that. Like, like often might not be impressed by that stuff. Um, but I think something that does impress us, particularly Aussies, is when someone could have that. They could have this huge entourage. They could have the best stuff, but they don't rock up like that. They just rock up at a barbecue with an average person, and they just, they just fit in. And they don't point to all their glory. They actually kind of conceal it, and they come and just be among the common people. And that's what Jesus does. He is that one on the throne with these creatures surrounding them, and he leaves them, and he comes to earth, as a man, he goes to Nazareth, he goes to people who don't seem significant or important, and he loves them, and he heals them, even though he's misunderstood and he's rejected. And then he's not lifted high on a throne, but on a cross. Instead of being surrounded by creatures who can't look on him, he'll be surrounded by those who mock him. And he himself will be torn apart. Instead of Isaiah being undone, Christ will be undone instead. He will take the sin of the world and defeat it by letting it defeat him, absorb it, and, and have the victory over it through the cross. This passage in Philippians, again, is common, but it's just so beautiful, that describes that, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to see afresh the revelation that he is our merciful and gracious Savior who gave himself to save and cleanse us. He's not just the one on the throne. He's not just the one who is perfectly holy and other. He's the one who would leave it all and who would humble himself and who would give himself on the cross so that we can be forgiven. He's the one who would not just leave us in our sin, but who would rescue us and defeat evil once and for all. So he is worthy because he's exalted. He's worthy because he's holy. And he's worthy because he's victorious. He is the lamb who was slain, who is worthy. And the last book in the Bible is called The Revelation. Uh, it's not meant to be a book that reveals things that are to be afraid of about the future. The, the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the whole point, is who is Jesus? He's the victorious one. He's the lion, and he's the king, and he's the lamb who was slain, and he has won. And it's a good news book that he's on the throne even if things are going crazy in the world, even if Christians are dying around the world, he is the lamb and he has conquered. He has rescued us and he is worthy. This passage, similar to Isaiah's vision, John has a vision. It says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000, 
They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So we're invited to receive the revelation of who he is, to see him in his glory exalted, in his holiness reflected through the world and the creation, and in his cross and his victory. And as we see that, how can we not respond? saying that he is of utmost worth. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of our lives. He's worthy of being praised. So as we, we've been worshiping him, and, and we're going to continue uh, to respond over the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll look at response and reflection as well. But could you stand with me, and, and um, we'll come to sing. And let's, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for who you are as the high and exalted King. Lord, we cannot see you in your fullness, and those who claim to see you cannot describe you. And just ask that you give us the eyes of faith to see you in your glory, exalted high, right now in the, in the heavens, over the earth, in every situation that we might be struggling, you're exalted. Thank you that you are holy. Give us eyes to see afresh your holiness and your weighty significance, your kavod, your glory that is, fills all the earth. And, and give us eyes to see your cross, your mercy and your humility and the glory that your cross is that you would go to death to rescue us. We say that you are worthy. We ask you to fill us with hearts to respond to you and to worship you, to honor you um, as, a, as a worshiping community, as a, as a body of believers in our own lives this week. We honor you, Jesus, and say that you are worthy of praise. Let's pray this in your name. Amen.